As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host Danny Kelly and alongside me today is The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. On this episode we'll digest that 1-1 draw with Everson at Goodison Park. Who knew replacing Antonio Conte with his old assistant and mate and confidant would yield the exact same results? If not, how could it be worse? We'll also get into your emails on who the next Spurs manager should be. All right, let's uh, first of all say hello to Jack Pitbrook and James. Hi, James. Hi, Jack. Hi. Hello. They are they're really there. That's their voices. Um, before we give our assessments on the match, uh, let's hear from our very own Charlie Eccleshare, who was attending his very first Spurs game since his long awaited return. Sorry, Charlie. Hi, everyone. It's Charlie here from Liverpool. Yeah, just reflecting on last night's pretty abysmal one-one draw at Everton where I think it was almost worse than a lot of the stuff uh, we've seen before this season just given the fact that Spurs were a goal up and a man up and just completely failed to control the game at all the piece I wrote from the game I looked at some of the numbers in the period after Spurs went ahead till the end of the game and Everton dominated them and it's just so damning and yeah, speaks to a complete inability to exert pressure on your your opponents, even when they're down to 10 men and a lack of confidence. I mean, I asked Delini about that after, you know, was that a mental thing? Is that a technical thing? Because the players just looked really sort of short of both ideas and confidence. Like how, how are they going to impose themselves on another team and really the quality was pretty poor you know there was nothing to suggest Spurs were the ones going for the top four and Everton were the ones batting relegation uh, and bear in mind you know, Everton started the day in the bottom three having scored the fewest goals of any team in the league they were without Dominic Calvert-Lewin who's you know their main attacking threat and so you know not to be able to push on in that scenario does make you question you know, what what kind of game or circumstances could Spurs really impose themselves? And it remind the inevitability of the equaliser reminded me of the period at the end of 2020, early 2021, in the kind of dark closing days of the Jose Mourinho era when they went away to Palace and drew 1-1, having been a goal up. They went away to Wolves and drew 1-1, having been a goal up. They drew it home to Fulham, 1-1, having been 1-0 up. And you could just feel the players sort of retreating into themselves. And, and that was so evident again, last night and the the problem is and we spoke about this that when you appoint the assistant to a deeply unpopular sacked head coach who's just torched the building on the way out the level of forgiveness is going to be a lot lower um and so already i think there was a lot of you know this is more of the same and what what did we expect you know we've appointed the assistant number two and someone whose career has been inextricably linked to antonio conte so yeah, it's, it, it, it was pretty bleak and it makes Brighton on Saturday such a massive game. And I think, yeah, I fear for Stellini if um, 
if things start to go badly, you know, not, I don't think it's him necessarily that will get the fans eye. I think it'll be more the ownership, but it's going to be a pretty difficult set of circumstances for him to try and rouse the team if, if they don't get off to a good start in that game or if they go behind. So, yeah, lots to digest for him and the players in the next few days. But, yeah, last night was unfortunately just more of the same. All right, people, last night the game ended. I was still had my head clutched between my elbows almost. I cannot remember. I think the word never is going to come out here. I've been watching Spurs for half a century and I have never, ever felt more angry at the end of a football game that I've never, ever seen anything like it. I mean, I don't know what we expected when you just appoint, as we said in the, in the episode about Stellini, um, how could it be different? But, uh, I mean, I'll get onto my views in just a second and my anger, and I'm sure James has it too. But, Jack, let, you're, you're the voice of reason. What the hell did we see last night? Well, we saw what I think is, I've been trying to think, can I remember a worse 11 versus 10 performance I've ever seen? And I don't think I can. Like, I mean, I've seen teams, you see teams lose games with 10 men, but generally that's because the opposition is much better than them. But to be 1-0 up against a team which, you know, a quick look at the league table shows that Tottenham are miles better than, 1-0 up, ten men, playing against 10 men, 20 minutes left, and to just surrender the initiative like that was kind of mind-blowing, really. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I know that the commentators said that too. I'm sure it felt very strange inside the ground. If Tottenham had scraped a win, which they nearly did, it would have been, I think, the worst the worst winning performance I've ever seen. And as it happens, I think the the draw was a totally fair result, maybe a tiny bit flattering to Tottenham, given how bad they were. Um, it was one of those strange performances where I actually thought they were first 15 minutes I thought hold on this might be a bit different and then over the course of the game they just got progressively worse and worse and worse and, and until they bottomed out right at the end yeah I mean I, I first of all I would make the comment that it wasn't um, the game the sending off did not make it 10 against 11 it made it 10 against 10 because the former Son Hun Ming he shouldn't be on the pitch he is just not a professional footballer anymore um, the ball bounces off him now. Like anyone's ever played billiards on a good table, the rubberized sides of a billiards table, the ball can't be bouncing away from you like that the whole time. But that's a separate issue. James, that Jack there, of course, is uh, um, often very level-headed. The floor is yours. What, what did we see last night? To me, that half-hour period where Spurs had the man advantage was the perfect display of the fact that the system that Spurs have been playing for the last year and a bit is completely flawed because only having two players in midfield really showed how little they can dominate the ball with that system and with those players playing in it there was no, that there was no advantage to having an extra man on the pitch because they couldn't dominate the ball that 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 team as it's set up at the moment cannot dominate possession it cannot control a game it can only play on the counter attack and you know you mentioned sons form this season has obviously made that far more difficult and Kulusevski as people have said it hasn't been great since the World Cup either and by the way I'd also say to you Kane I don't think has played brilliantly I know he scored a good number of goals I think possibly he's on course for his record over the course of a season maybe in the Premier League what's he on now 22 or something so a lot of like you know goals from set pieces and penalties but actually if you if you, if you think back to games where Kane has played brilliantly and there have been a few I, even this guy who we kind of talk of as being impervious to the conditions I don't think has been great he can't be impervious to the team around him can he he can't not if, forever if the ball doesn't you get do, to you him can, you can do it once or twice yeah. but not for a whole season no. Yeah, and, and it just it just seemed incredibly obvious to me. And look, I, I know there are a lot of people I tweeted a couple of things last night and people get upset when you don't explicitly criticise all the players. So I would ex- I can explicitly criticise, you know, Sanchez always looks uncomfortable on the ball. Romero, I, I don't, I mean, I can't even, he's an idiot, isn't he? I mean, can't, you know, whatever. Dyer seems to sometimes get a bit carried away and take too many touches and uh, and get get into the headspace that he's a better footballer than he is. He's a good defender. He doesn't need to overdo it with the ball. He's convincing of himself he's because of that massive crossfield pass that he does so brilliantly. Well, he's capable the, of the doing The Alderweireld pass, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's fine. He's capable of doing that. Yeah. But you don't need to like try and take on like the, the forwards that are trying to press you when there's not, absolutely no cover and absolutely no margin for error. And Spurs were very lucky not to go behind when he did that early in the second half. Hoiberg has his limitations. I don't really want to get into the midfielders because I think the system exposes them too much. Son, as you mentioned, in dreadful form. Kulisevsky in bad form. Kane not in great form. Perisic, I mean, he looked knackered by 47 minutes but to that me. Was his, but I, the no. first half was his best game for Spurs. 
Yeah, that, he looks good. We had loads of space. I thought, oh, maybe they've set them free a little bit, but uh, maybe. But uh, like, we talked about this halftime on Sky. Like uh, uh, that Everton back four defends so narrow that the wide players are always going to get loads of space. So it made you know it made sense to to try and find him. Look, his delivery, I think we said all season, has been really good. That's been the one thing that's been consistently very good that he's done. But both in open play and from set pieces, delivery is brilliant. But yeah, by, by the second half, and for reasons that we've talked about before, he looked absolutely shot, and I, I'm amazed that he played the whole game. It's absolutely staggering to me. Lucas, Lucas, I mean, Lucas is just, we know what Lucas is. He's not, he's a moments player, and he isn't having any moments anymore. It's, it's, it's insane that he is playing Premier League minutes ahead of Dan Juma, who was in the Champions League team in the season last season. I, I can't fathom that. I, I, there's no way you can convince me that's the right substitution to make. I don't, I don't know. Now and that's, and that's, the, that's one of the reasons why the appointment of Stellini um, to replace Conte, albeit for 10 or 11 games, is so mad because, of course, those two have worked together hand in hand, fist in fist, glove in glove uh, for the past umpteen years. If Conte has made a decision about Dan Juma, you can be sure it's an opinion shared by Stellini. And you're right that 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 him not playing a minute of that game and don't forget Spurs were dreadful for most of the game and they made two substitutions out. Of they five. had two shots know, on target and against the team I, in the I, bottom I, three. I know we didn't have like loads of great options on the bench. I'm not suggesting they should have chucked Alfie Devine in, but Saar was there, Dan Juma was there. Both of those players should have played at least 20 minutes of that match purely on the basis of how much Spurs were struggling in the last what half hour basically since they went in uh, went in front. Uh, it, it, it was. Uh, Every single facet of it was bad. And as Jack says, I, I, I would agree with Jack. I can't think of a worse performance by 11 men against 10, particularly, as Jack says, against uh, with the 11 men being the better team, you know, in terms of league position and what you would genuinely expect in, in terms of performances. Uh, it is... Um, we, can't, we can't put that all on the manager. There's like a culture, and we talked before about the, the culture. Someone tweeted me about this, and apologies for not getting the name, and I think it's a really good point. There's a culture around the club of kind of acceptance of being good but not great I think but, and there was just like no like hunger no drive to push on and like Spurs should have wiped the floor with Everton once they had the man advantage and they'd gone 1-0 up like the ground it's Goodison Park it's normally you know raucous atmosphere it seemed pre- I don't know if this was a sky sound thing but it sounded quite quiet I, I, you know you could ask Charlie about that but I, it, it to me it was like a perfect opportunity to put Everton to the sword at that point win by a couple of goals get confidence back up again and for them to collectively, coaching staff and players, just like accept <laughs> that they were going to not have the ball for the rest of the game, it's just I, I can't I can't fathom it. And Stellini was there on a touchline, and, and people are right to criticise the players, but Stellini is there on a the touchline. He's not doing anything. He's not like geeing the players up or drive or telling them to drive forward or gesturing at all that they need to be doing anything differently. He's not made any tactical tactical tweaks or made any substitutions. They've just carried on doing the same thing. And they've been caught out in the 88th minute or 90th minute, whatever it was. It seems to me like they both, they broadly would. There's two two things they could have done which they didn't do. One would have been to get Dan Juma on as somebody who's actually got pace and can carry the ball forward and challenge players and would probably have been better at exploiting that the space that was obviously going to be there on the counter attack. The other thing they could have done is brought on an extra midfielder. You know, the, I mean, I thought at the time I remember thinking this would be such a perfect game to bring Bissouma on. Obviously, Bissouma's recovering from his his ankle injury, but they had Saar on the bench. You know, Saar is, I think, he's very, very accomplished with the ball, a bit lacking without the ball. But if your plan is to come on and dominate possession, have him as an extra midfielder to help out Skip and Hoiberg, it would have been perfect. And yet, as as James says, they completely... They could not have done any more to play into Everton's hands than what they did. I've never seen such passivity at a moment of maximum opportunity. And, they, you know, for the second game in a... You know, the, the connection with the last game is obvious. It's two games in a row that they absolutely had to win. They were in a, a position that you'd win 19 times out of 20. They screwed it up at the, right at the end both times. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I take everything you say absolutely right. I can add to it the following things. First of all, my own experience... I watched the game on the television, sat there with my missus, who is an Arsenal supporter, but who really doesn't want Spurs to lose football matches or to draw them in those circumstances because she knows that I'll get in a horrible mood about it, particularly this season. And yet, once we'd scored, I, using all my skill and judgment of watching a lot of football matches, I said to her, Everton are going to equalise here, I promise you. And she, bless her, was saying, no, it's very hard to score a goal in a game of football. That's what's so exciting about it. They'll probably be all right. And yet I knew to the core of my DNA, and of course I could have been wrong, 
in which case I wouldn't be telling you this story, would I? But I knew to the core of my DNA that they were going to score for any number of reasons, not least uh, the reason that if you defend the edge of your own box in modern football, as I've said a thousand times, and I'm sick of saying it, I'm hoarse from saying it, sooner or later, someone will slap one in because the balls are lightweight, though you might expect the goalkeeper to actually have a dive at it, or you'll get a VAR decision given against you that will cause you to concede a goal. So, you know, I, I, it was personal agony for me because I didn't want to upset her, but I knew I was going to be upset by it. Second thing I'd say about it is that, you know, we have on this podcast over the course of this roller coaster, runaway, crazy season, we have slaughtered the manager, uh, slaughtered the director of football. Now we are forced to confront the owner. And I have tried to be as even-handed as I can about the owner because I think he's achieved some fantastic things and the players themselves. With regards to the owner, simply this. What what advice did you get that was said that leaving Stellini in charge would get any difference from the players? The, the idea, oh, they like the, 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 the... He's popular with the players. The number two at any club is always popular with the players. That's how it works. The manager is the bad cop. The assistant manager is the good cop. The second that dynamic changes, the players just move on to hating the next person. It was, it was an ins- it's an insane decision that will cost Spurs probably um, a place in the Europa League. They'll probably end up in the conference the way things are going. And I don't want to be you know uh, overdramatic about this because it doesn't leave you anywhere to go in the next podcast. But I'm just saying how I feel. And when he took out that yellow object out of his pocket towards half time, and people texted me and said, "Is that a stopwatch? Why is he?" I said, "No." That's a pager to Antonio Conte. You can be absolutely sure that he's getting some advice there from Antonio about what to do next. It was a joke, but it's a joke that's sick because it could be so easily be true. And finally, the players, you're right to pick out on the individual performances. For me, what, what possesses them when they can see what's happening in the last 20 minutes? Why can't one or two of them change that direction of travel, alter that narrative? Let's go through it very quickly. Hugo Lloris has captained the world champions a record number of times. Harry Kane is captain of England. Son Hun Ming is the captain of South Korea. Hoiberg has captained Denmark. Romero is a World Cup winner. Surely between them, and the other players are full-time professional footballers, surely between them, somebody can say, if nothing else, let's bang this thing long. Let's get it out of our half. But no, they retreat to the edge of the box, presumably under instruction, against the 10 men, and proceed to play it round in in their own penalty area, making themselves, never mind me watching on television, more and more nervous. But this is what I mean about it being a culture. It's not, because this isn't new to Stellini or Conte. You know, this is happening under Mourinho as well. They're kind of, these players predominantly have been conditioned to play an incredibly defensive brand of football. And when you've done that for, what, three and a half, four years... It's very difficult to go out on the front foot. You know, we talked before about the system, and I, I believe that that system makes it very difficult to dominate a game in terms of possession. And I'm not saying it would have been great to watch Spurs as knocking passes around in midfield for the last half hour of the game, but they could have done that and won the game had they chosen to make that substitution. It would have been better than surrendering all possession and, and losing uh, dr- and dropping two points. But yeah, I, 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 it is. It's just insane. The, I, I can't get my head around it. And the same as you, Danny. Early in the second half, in particular, it was really obvious they were trying to play out from the back, putting themselves under so much pressure. And it, even at nil-nil, it felt to me like that Everton crowd were were nervous, they were quite subdued. I was surprised by that. And it just kind of spurs us invited so much more uh, kind of excitement from that crowd than was necessary. It really it like invited Everton on on the pitch and it gave their fans hope off the pitch. It just seems like, an, uh, uh, like a bizarre approach when you could, as you say, just knock the ball long and you've got three forwards up the pitch. I mean, what, why, why do that? But, but it, it, you know, we can't just blame coaches and managers for that. It's The, yeah, the players sure. are That's experienced right. professionals who should, you know... I add, you know, Dias played at a World Cup of England, long glazed played for Barcelona. They're not, they're not complete chumps. Whatever people might think about how good they are as defenders, they do have some pedigree and they have Perisic done it. Perisic just won the Champions level. League. I forgot to say that yeah, as well. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, Bundesliga and whatever, Serie A as well. Uh, it's, to, I, I can't 
you know, they they're just going to chart. Uh, Jack wrote about this last week. You know, they had a long two weeks of having having been absolutely eviscerated by Conte to to stew over what he said. Sixteen days between that and the match to kind of process it and and, and work out how they were going to prove him wrong. And and most of them, if not all of them, just completely proved him right. I mean, you know, and again, I, I, the problems aren't just down to the mentality of the players, and the mentality of the players aren't isn't aren't just down to the players. It's it's a cultural thing that's bred by managers and owners and whatever else. It's the whole thing. But that just makes it all the more mad that you wouldn't actually change anything when you sack the manager. I think it's weird because I was thinking of I was thinking last week, like, will this be the moment for the players to try to prove Conte wrong? But it could never, in hindsight, it could never have been that because it could never have felt like a clean break. It could never have felt like a clean break when half his staff are still there and Stellini's still giving instructions. And the more, I mean, I think this, what we saw last night would really have just underlined what I think a lot of people thought instinctively at the time, which is that it doesn't make sense to get rid of the manager and keep the backroom staff on. And that's not saying that Stellini isn't good at his job or whatever. It's just that... When you change manager, you need the feeling of a clean start. You also need to feel like the players need to have the opportunity to feel like they can start afresh. And also that if they and if the players, for example, wanted to feel like they were proving Conte wrong, then they can't really do that while Conte staff are still around. You can't you can't create an atmosphere of repudiation and point proving when you still got all the kind of uh, holdovers from the previous regime still there. It just, it just didn't really... It, the only way you can justify putting Stellini in charge is if you think Conte had to leave because of his comments at St Mary's, but that nothing else was wrong. And clearly, like the point is that the football has been really wrong all season, and you are continuing the wrongness of the football by maintaining the people who've implemented it. But also, presumably, training isn't actually massively different to what it was like before, both in terms of like the drills and what they're actually doing on the training ground, and in terms of who's actually there, because we had six weeks of a season, two months of the season, where Conte was there for, what, like, sort of 10 days or whatever. So the actual experience of going to training will be more or less exactly the same, surely, as it was when Conte was away in hospital back in Italy. Like, I don't, the experience is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. The, the looming figure of Antonio Conte may not be there anymore, but in essence, as Jack says, all the other kind of psychological and literal elements are all there. We were so delighted, at least I was, that Conte had gone, that when we were being bewildered by the appointment of Stellini, we didn't actually get across the point that actually this is no change at all. This is, the, and I, I use the phrase, the continuity um, candidate, and there he is, the continuity candidate. And James, I noticed that uh, your obsession with aircraft investigations, which I think may be part of the problem, I have to be honest with you, just because that itself is such a doomy thing to be interested in, came to the fore. You tweeted that you're recording, is it both things at once? Uh, no, 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 I wasn't. So basically, because I live in a, a flat with a, a communal dish, I can only watch, I can only record what I'm watching on Sky Plus. So if anything's set up to series link, it tries to change the channel. So halfway through the game, <laughs> well, I, and by the way, I, everything I have on Series Link is not that that hasn't, hasn't been a thing that I've actually done myself. It's all, like this machine has like a mind of its own. My Sky Plus. So yeah, half time it was telling me that I had to change the channel to watch Air Crash Investigation. Oh, I bet you wish um, you did. And I obviously, yeah, really wish I did now. And obviously, I made a very good joke about you know flaps and whatever again. Oh yeah, because uh, because Larissa's back. <laughs> but yeah, it would have been, probably been a far less stressful forty-five minutes hour to have to change the channel. Yeah, I mean, then we. It's a, great, it's a great show. It's a great show. Then we, then we. I mean, my sister watches it. I, you know, the, the, those random people are mad about air crash investigations. Then we had, we've had the uh, the response to Harry Kane, not to the sending off of Decore, but to Harry Kane's part in it. People as well established, well paid, and indeed colleagues of mine, like Henry Winter, did say, "Oh, disgraceful England captain, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I wish he didn't go down so easily, but every single player does it. And just as just as they say, you've got to show the referee that it, you know you've given the referee a choice there when you make a bad tackle. You've got to give the referee no choice these days. Over over, the, and of course, the BBC picture of his eyes being in contact with Decore's hands. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get look, it. Look, 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 look. 
if if Zakaria had done that and Harry Kane, you know, and he's basically tried to gouge Harry Kane's eye, mm-hmm. right? He's got his fingers like right in his eye, you know, yeah. right the in picture, his face. The picture is very it's telling, horrible. isn't it? Yeah, it's horrible. It looked bad on first viewing, and actually, you know, it looked kind of like a punch on the first viewing. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't quite that, but it was a pretty horrible thing, and it's an intentional thing. You can tell by the way he's got his fingers. Well, Sorry, I had my hand. Most over of them my, better my got an eight match ban for something similar. Yeah, he can tell by the way he's done it, like from the grip. He's done that on purpose. It's not an accident. It's not just brushing him away. He's gone in there and like, he really gripped his face. If Harry Kane had just kind of held his face a bit, stepped back, not gone down, and Decore hadn't been sent off, I absolutely guarantee you that Henry Winter, Danny Murphy, and all these other people would have been absolutely furious that it wasn't a red card. It's just absolute nonsense. It's a, re- it's a red card. You know, Harry Kane has made a bit of a meal of it, but you do have to do that. I don't imagine it was a particularly pleasant experience to have someone grabbing his face like that. His face was really red. Yeah, afterwards. yeah. it was horrible. It's the really camera horrible. did a close up in Kane's face. It, it was like it it would have it looked like it really would have hurt. It just it just shows it just shows the um, for whatever reason and we've discussed it occasionally on here. Kane is the whipping boy for. I, mean, I think he committed a crime in people's minds subconsciously because and particularly the younger element of football fans. People hate him for, 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 because he stayed at Spurs. To hell with that. Um, and so do I wish footballers didn't overreact to things? Yes, I do. Why should he be any different? And you're absolutely right to say he was hurt. And um, it, you can't give these referees a chance to wriggle off the hook when it comes to red cards. Which takes us, well, we defended Harry Kane there, proper. Which takes us to the Lucas red card. I mean... Enthusiasm, all the rest of it, but there's no question he had to go. Nah, it's never he? a red card. It's not, come on, he's made a meal of it. King's made a meal of it. No, I mean it's a stu- it's a stupid challenge. Yeah. Uh, At least it showed some in, some intent to try and win the ball back though. Not, but you know, but, yeah. I mean, really, really. Well, I mean, that's one way of looking at it, I guess. Go on. I mean, it's, a, it's a stupid. It's a stupid. It's, 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 stu- it was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. It was uh, I, what a ridiculous thing to do. I can't believe that they. I hope you're not defending him, Danny. I think you're oh, just no, no. Pr- provocating. No, no, I, 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 I actually thought at least he's gone in for the ball here rather than jogging back towards his own goal. I did think I mean, that. Would he, been, he would have been better off. Yeah, he would have yeah, been yeah. better off jogging. He, he got ideally, nowhere he near the ball, better, by the way. He got nowhere he, he near the ball. Yeah, he would have been better he off. He was about near, he was about as near the ball as I was, sat in <laughs> Kingston upon Thames. Watching air crash investigation. Yeah. He would have been better off still sat on the bench while Dan Juma races in into a counter on a counter attack to put Tottenham two 0 up. But sadly, that you know that's not the world that we live in. All right, the um, I've been people have of course been discussing um, the substitutions and other things, and we'll come on a little in the second half to talk about the managerial situation. I hope Jack has got some updates at least on the search, because of course now you can be in touch with the show via email. V F tl at theathletic.com vftl at theathletic.com you can email us of course with your views questions rants ravings and obfuscations but also you can send us a voice note and we're going to play out a couple of those a little later in the show kieran allen from ireland uh emailed to say hi lad do you think the spurs quad looks tired um that second half against Everton, i felt they hadn't the energy to push for the second goal or at least just to dominate possession and see out the game is it physical or perhaps even mental fatigue? I guess what Kieran is aiming at is in a season with a World Cup in the middle of it, those scenes now from, I think one of you mentioned it on the podcast last time, of the players vomiting in Korea before before the season started, maybe may scratch your head a little. But I just thought it was attitude. I, d- I don't think it really, I don't share Kieran's um, view about their physical fitness because I, I thought they played, you know, very physical Everton side. But in the first half, it was, it was just about battering into each other for tackles. I thought Spurs stood up pretty well to that. I would say, as is often the case when things are going wrong at a club, it'll be a combination of all of those things, like psychological, physical, tactical, technical. It's just all of it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Which is, I mean, which is, my, yeah. <laughs> which is bad, because it's much more difficult to fix. Although, I mean, and for once, I can allow my optimism, my Panglossianism to rise to the surface here. The only thing I'm getting out of this season is watching... Newcastle, Burnley, Arsenal, one or two others on the continent show how quickly you can turn disasters around in football clubs. If you have the right person at the helm, if the players buy into the right person, it is amazing how quickly these things, which look utterly, utterly broken, uh, can be turned around. And that's what I'm clinging, clinging on to right now. Just need a bloke with a bowl of lemons, right? That, that's all you need. Yeah, that'd be very good. People, you better explain that because not everyone will remember. Time passes quickly. 
Maurizio Pochettino. There's a name. What, what, he, he sort of believed, yeah, that guy. He believed lemons were magic, basically, wasn't that it, Jack? He, he sort of believed in the kind of auras and the cleansing auras. He believes and... in what he calls universal energy, or as he would call it, energia universal. And the idea is that there, this is this energy that exists in the universe, and a, a, an important thing to do is to channel, is to be able to channel it and interpret it and understand it. So channeling universal energy is an important part of, of how Pochettino kind of thinks and works. And he used to have a bowl of lemons on his desk, I believe, at his, in his office at Tottenham, with the idea that lemons, I think, are good at um, conducting universal energy, or rather that they're good at kind of sucking it up, I think. Like we're having to I think do just the, now, I think, yeah. I think that's the theory. Uh, I'd have to double check, but... Yeah, lemons are a kind of conduit to universal energy, basically. If life gives you lemons, you get to the European Cup final, right? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The View from the Lane. Uh, today's edition has me, Danny Kelly, James Moore and Jack Pitt-Rook. Among the news stories that we're not going to get to really get stuck into because the game against Everton has dominated uh, the agenda, Sunday marked four years since the opening of the new stadium. The new stadium, which has got go-karting and Beyonce and all the rest of it, but still no, uh, no name other than them trying to call it the Tottenham Hospital Stadium and me still insisting on calling it White Hart Lane until I get till it becomes the Coca Cola Enormo Dome. Um, I'll stick with White Hart Lane. Uh, we won't even get an update on the naming rights. We've got so much to get through. As I say, we decided we want to get you lot more involved. Um, by of course you lot, I mean the treasured listeners and downloaders with the view from the lane. And the uh, new email is uh, vftl at theathletic.com and people have been getting in in touch with us. And we asked you to name who you'd want as an Spurs manager. There were loads and loads you got in contact. So sorry if we don't get your message on air. That's just the, the way of it. But this line will be open all season for you to get in touch with us. And we'll start with, um, and there's no geographical bias here, uh, from County Mayo, Declan McCann had this to say. Hi, Danny. Declan here. And I have a view from the lane listener just up the road from me in County Mayo. Having considered all the candidates that could be available to Spurs, I cannot give my back into anyone else but Mauricio Pochettino. There isn't another man that could singularly unite the fan base and the club like Mauricio's return uh, could bring to them. Daniel Levy and the board have made some terrible decisions over the last three and a half years, but I think this one could just 
swing them back in the right direction again keep up the good work all of you at view from the lane yeah i love that De- i love declan from mayo that was and uh, you know we will get a chance to discuss all these things in detail obviously right now let's be honest if Maurizio pochettino you know, Jack, you know jack is at the next press conference and you're expecting stellini the door swings open and in walks Maurizio pochettino can you imagine the furore among Spurs fans, the delight. And of course, we all know the attendant dangers, but I just the, 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 the lift of spirit. And if he was carrying a bowl of lemons with him as well and looking rather quizzically out the corner of his eye, it'd be just magnificent. One or two more. Uh, David Resnick says, not enough discussion of Xabi Alonso. He ticks a lot of the 2014 poch boxes, including unwitting aspects like handsome and charismatic. And this would be a huge opportunity for him to prove it on the bigger stage. I think. He could turn out like a, a little younger Zidane as manager. If we can nab him now, Keith Love says, only two options excite me for the new manager. Thomas Frank is my number one choice, proven in Premier League and can adapt style to suit the situation, would also restore unity. Give him the gig for 10 years. If not, then take a risk on Deserby. Players seem to love him and it would take us on to an adventure uh, and not a bloody Luis Enrique, he says. Nick, um, rather more succinctly, Potch, please. Uh, Jason Shaw then says, we need to find someone who has an affinity with the club, not with winning. Backroom staff can uh, can aid in getting things right, but why not promote Ryan Mason to head coach and be without a quote-unquote manager until he's ready to take on responsibility? Give Ryan the time and the support to make something of himself at our club. And finally, Philip Kavanagh says, "If, if the only criteria is an improvement on Conte, what about Chef from the Muppets? He says, and good, keep those coming as serene as you like. Here's another one. This is Matty. He says, are we better off finishing eighth and doing a proper rebuild? Listen to this. Hello, lads. Uh, Matty Rigg here. First time caller, long time listener. Thanks for all the hard work you're putting in uh, in this weird and wacky chapter of our team's history. Uh, my question is, obviously, financial side aside, are we maybe not better finishing eighth? and not getting Europe next year and doing a proper full rebuild. I know at the time it's going to piss people off, but I feel like we need to get as many distractions out of the way and just focus on on, on rebuilding. So, yep, that's my question. I think we could do with it. We need a full rehaul of the team uh, around certain players that will not be leaving. So, yeah, that's my thought. Thanks, guys. I'm not sure whether Matty did that before or after the Everton match. I suspect after, um, let's be honest. And Jack, we'll come on to those, some of those names in just a second, but um, have you got any updates on the search for the manager? And or, or, Let me ask you a direct question, because otherwise that's unfair on you. What is stopping Pochettino? Is it Levy not wanting him, or is Pochettino saying, I don't want to go back there, or I don't want to go back there now? I think... It's more the former than the latter. I think Pot. I I believe at the moment Pochettino would like to go back to Tottenham more than Tottenham would like to have him back. That's my my impression is that there has been no no direct contact from Tottenham to Pochettino about the job, and that's not to say that he's not under consideration, and that's not to say that the as the circumstances change over the course of the summer it's possible that he might you know Daniel Levy might think oh actually maybe we should go back to Pochettino the problem is that Tottenham do not have the luxury of time you know the Chelsea jobs open the Real Madrid job might I think will probably ESG come open there'll definitely be other big jobs open. around yeah that's there'll be other big jobs around Europe and I think we can say Poch isn't going I to PSG that's right, fair. That, that is very yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's the one job he won't do. But I think, um, I don't think that Tottenham can sit and wait on this forever. And I think that if if Pochettino ended up going somewhere other than Tottenham, I don't think Tottenham could have the, could have any complaints. I mean, you, 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 when you said, as we head into the summer, it filled me with dread. They've got to get this sorted out. And even if they can, they're going to announce somebody, um, and, you know, he comes out and says, I can't even give you the name because they're still at another club, but we have got a new manager. And then, you know, people like yourself would find who it was and, and it'd be great. They can't sit around. I mean, because we lived through the, the terrible pre-Nuno summer, can't have any more of that. It just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I know, I know Conte set fire to the ship, but they must have had some succession planning in place, or you would think so. 
Well, the man who was in charge of success and planning uh, had to had to step aside on Friday because well, presumably he's extended his thirty month ban across the world. Ideas, has he? Well, you'd hope so, but it's Still hard to head. do that. It's it's very <laughs> it's very very difficult to be conf- it's it's difficult to be confident about Tottenham's succession planning, and I don't really think that that Tottenham deserve any benefit of the doubt on this, given how badly the last few years have gone. I don't think, you know, it might, I'm sure they are work. I, clearly they will be working on stuff in private. They are trying to keep the process much more private than they did in 2021, which means that less information will come out. That's fair but enough. I think for, until, we under, yeah, and that's fair yeah. enough. But until we get to the point that the new manager is being, you know, they're doing a funny tweet to unveil the new manager on, or, uh, and posting pictures of him holding a scarf, I don't think they deserve any. I think they have sacrificed all benefit of the doubt in terms of their footballing decisions over the last few years. And and now, James, because it, it, it's it's not a carousel anymore. It's going much too fast. It's a helter skelter, isn't it? The the managerial, formerly known as the managerial merry-go-round. Graham Potter is on the market. Brendan Rodgers is on the market. Christophe Galtier may not. I doubt if he'll two successive home league defeats in league. I doubts. I have my doubts. He'll even make it to the end of the season. The problem is that each new, new 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 name that comes on, particularly Brendan Rodgers, uh, James and Daniel Levy has got history with wanting to attract him. But each new every new manager that gets sacked is suddenly linked with a Spurs job as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, Daniel Levy should necessarily worry himself with people who are being linked to a job. Well, Rodgers, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, Jack, I, there's kind of there is history of Rodgers and uh, Rodgers and Levy, right? I mean, that is unlikely to happen, presumably. Yeah, so my understanding of the situation, and you know, this is 11 years ago now, is that in the summer of 2012, after Tottenham sacked Harry Redknapp, Tottenham were very, very close to getting Brendan Rodgers, who of course was then at Swansea. And then Rodgers, act- turns out Rodgers actually signed for Liverpool. But I, my impression is that the Rodgers changed his mind pretty quickly and... I think that the way that was handled did not go down especially well with Daniel Levy and that I would therefore be very surprised if Rodgers were to end up being Tottenham manager this summer or at any point in the future. That's my impression of the situation. That strikes me as the kind of thing where if Rodgers had just had those two fifth place finishes and won the FA Cup and was suddenly available now... It, that wouldn't matter, but I think once you've then had kind of two seasons of like a slow regression, which Leicester have had, and that isn't always forward, I think it probably feels less likely that that's going to be a bridgeable gap. Does that does that seem fair? Yeah, I think that Rodgers. I think the timing's not really worked out for Rodgers. I think Rodgers, in hindsight, he, he should. I mean, it would have been great if they finished fourth for less from his point of view, but he should. I think these last two years will really undermine his, his reputational standing because I'm sure he would have been thinking two or three years ago. Right, if I can do as well as I can at Leicester, then my next job is going to be replacing Guardiola. And now, of course, you know, after the last two years, I don't think that's a, that's an option. So, you know, it's worth pointing out that a lot of that isn't his fault. That the Leicester owners suffered terribly through the pandemic because their business is about airlines and airports, and they just haven't been able to back him in the way that you know Antonio Conte would want to be backed in the transfer market as he tries to prove that he is the best manager in the world, provided he has the best players in the world at his disposal. So it's not secrecy. You think they're going to be a bit more discreet about it. Jack, do you think Daniel Levy, and this is, I'm asking you to speculate here, do you, I mean, after last night's performance and what's liable to happen if they go a goal down at home to Brighton, do you think he understands the urgency of this? I mean, you know, he, I'm sure he gets the importance of getting this right. Does he understand the urgency of the situation? I think so, because I think he's very, he is very attuned to what the fans think. You know, it doesn't appear that way because he keeps making unpopular decisions or decisions that end in an unpopular way. But I do think, he, you know, I certainly think he's very conscious of what the fans think. Equally, this is a huge appointment for him. The last three appointments have all been, have, he's, you know, have all gone wrong. Really, well, I mean, one of them was dead on arrival, and then two of the others were, um, you know, started well and then followed a very, very similar path in Conte and in and Mourinho. So he's got to get it right. It's been it's complicated by the fact that Paratici is now stepped aside, and then there's questions about what you know whether or not he'll be sticking around. It's all there's an added complication here, which is the fact that if you're a manager, if you're a manager sitting down for an interview with Daniel Levy at some point in the next two months, your first question is going to be right: What's the structure? Who's in charge? 
who who am I who's my line manager who's who's in charge of recruitment who who do I liaise with about the academy all that kind of stuff and it's completely impossible to do that because there's all this legal stuff hanging over over Prattigy. you know if if you were a manager having an interview say so this manager this managing director of football structure would that survive if Prattigy has to go will there be a new managing director of football will his jobs be replaced by other people in the building and it's i i don't know how Tottenham would answer those questions or if they have any answers to them themselves so that's another factor which is going to make it harder for Spurs and then of course there's you know competition from rivals I think Chelsea sacking Potter has come at the worst possible time for Spurs because Chelsea are, you know, they're in the same city. They've broadly got similar ambitions. They are looking at similar coaches. You know, the, the names linked with Chelsea are exactly the same as the names linked with Tottenham. And while I, I think Chelsea has been disastrously run ever since the takeover, that's obvious. And I think that, you know, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Levy actually knows what he's doing better than the people that run Chelsea. However... Chelsea have shown a huge appetite to throw a lot of money to move very fast. And if you were hypothetically Julian Nagelsmann, you've got an offer from Chelsea and off from Tottenham. I I I genuinely don't know which 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 you would choose. I think it's very very much open for debate which is the more attractive job. But it's tough for Tottenham because you know there's now a slightly bigger shark than them fishing in the sharking in the same waters. Yeah, I, I don't share your optimism about Nagelsmann. I think if you had that choice right now, um, Chelsea have got a pile of brilliant footballers. Um, they need to get. They need to lessen that pile. Of course, it's that's part of the complication. The problem, I think, the problem I think for Daniel Levy is that if we assume, so I think Nagelsmann is probably. I imagine that Nagelsmann is the preferred candidate, or one, or one of the one of the likeliest candidates for the job. Even though I'm sure Tottenham wouldn't describe him as being first choice, but I think he. I think I. I, I would imagine that he would be near near the top of the list at this point. But let's say hypothetically, Nagelsmann goes to Chelsea, and now let's say. Tottenham wait on the Pochettino situation and then all of a sudden and again this is all hypothetical all of a sudden Ancelotti leaves Florentino Perez gets on the phone and at the third time of asking he's got Pochettino in to manage Real Madrid and so at that point Tottenham don't would not have Nagelsmann and they wouldn't be able to have the fallback option of Pochettino because at the moment, I wonder if Daniel Levy looks at the Pochettino situation as this kind of lever that he doesn't particularly want to pull, but he can pull it as kind of break glass in case of emergency. If I haven't found anyone, maybe they can give Pochettino a call. And if he does that, then that's his way of saying he can save everything by doing this one thing. He can That's his way of winning back the fans. But let's say if Pochettino, if Pochettino is getting unveiled at the Bernabeu then, and Nagelsmann's off the table then I have I genuinely don't know what they would do. I don't know who they would turn to. And at that point I think it would it would become very difficult. But if you're Pochettino and the phone hasn't rung yet, like do you not start to think and also, you know, he he has a pretty great deal of affection for the club. So I suspect he's probably on top of what's going on. Certainly at least to the degree that we are. Is that going to be an appealing prospect, being knowing your second cho- or suspecting your second choice, and it being a complete shambles? I don't. I don't think the, f- the first thing doesn't matter so much. I think football managers have got hides like leather, haven't they? The and it, most of them do. He's, I mean, he is a very emotional bloke, Pochettino, isn't he? And that's what's one of the one of, I think one if, of the lovely if, things if about any, him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. But if any manager, I think is going to be powered by a thing like that, I think it could be someone like him. I'm not suggesting he's like thin-skinned, but I think he's very emotional. He can, he can always justify to say that they're doing their due diligence, aren't they? They're doing their due diligence. I thought they'd give you the gig. If the phone call finally comes from Daniel Levy to Pochettino, I think that I absolutely agree with James. I think it has to be managed in the right way. Managers do want... James is right. Managers want to be loved. Pochettino wants to be loved. And I don't... Th- I think that 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 you know it's a very delicate political process that Tottenham have got to have got would have to go about it in the right way if they were to to get what they want and like I, like I said earlier at the moment it's very difficult to have any confidence or trust in Tottenham to get this right. Jack, do you suppose? I mean, I I didn't expect there to be so many chances of Pochettino's name in the game last night. I was thinking it would be a thing that would happen on Saturday against Brighton when, even when things went badly against Everton. I mean, even at 1-0 up, and you know, as you said, that wasn't massively convincing anyway. But even, even when Spurs were winning that game, there were audible chance of Pochettino's name. Do you reckon there's any way in which that sways Levy at all or, or strengthens Pochettino's position? Yes, I can. I can see that happening. So I, I've often, I've thought for a while that even though I don't believe that Pochettino is a favourite at the moment for the role, I always thought that circumstances could move in such a way 
as to put more and more and more pressure on Daniel Levy to go for Pochettino in a way which eventually he would find it difficult, very, very difficult to resist. And so I've always, yeah, I've kind of always had the suspicion that things would move would move in that direction. And I, I mean, I don't want to sound kind of accelerationist about it, but I do wonder if for some Spurs fans, there might be a feeling that the worse this season ends, the more the more this narrative will take hold, which is that the only way to save Tottenham is Pochettino. Whether we like to admit it or not, we all want to be loved. And Daniel Levy may not have shown enough love to Poch by, you know, going after other people in the meanwhile. But that's one person. Can you imagine when Pochettino arrives at a new state at the stadium? Being loved by 62,000 people at once, it's quite a scenario to play with in your head if you're an intelligent person. I mean, so you can probably put up with Daniel's antics um, to get that wave of adoration coming towards you. And, you know, we all understand the problems. The thing is, it might not fix the football instantly, but it would fix some of the club's soul instantly. We've got quite a bit of housekeeping to get through here because I want to remind you that Thursday, so you've got three days to vote for the award that we're up for. I mean, I'm sure we're, we're absolutely romping away with it, but just to just to get us across the line, I'll put that into at the top of my Twitter feed. Again, uh, Danny Kelly words um, this week, so get, get a chance to go through the process and go and vote for us. James, in the meanwhile, you want to remind people about the Spurs survey. Yeah, so... On The Athletic uh, last Friday, we opened a survey for Spurs fans uh, where we've asked, I think it's 11 or 12 questions about the running of the club, the kind of the current circumstances around the club, the kind of things he's talking about, Paratici and Stellini and whatever else. So we're kind of keen to gauge the opinions of many people as possible. So if any View From The Lane listeners would like to take part in that survey, uh, hop on to The Athletic and uh, sign up to The Athletic if you're not a member. Probably should do that and get involved. Yeah, as I'm about to point out, it's incredibly cheap as well just now to sign up for it. The content is incredibly rich and the get the access to it is incredibly cheap. What are you gonna be doing for us in the next few days, Jack? Do you know? So I'm writing something on the uh, on the managerial situation, um, which I believe will be uh, launching on Wednesday. Okay, listen, thank you. Um so that's the uh, poll you've got to vote in, the survey you should take part in. Jack's piece that you should read, and the uh, once again the new email interactive way of being with us through voicemail or just words at vftl at theathletic.com. And of course, all of that adds up to the fact, as I was saying, that if you're not already an athletic subscriber, and I, I don't have to say this, but you really should sign up now to read all the incredible Spurs coverage as well as everything else on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Hopefully, we'll get out of this spiral where our Spurs fans are listening to and having the same old blues again. The Athletic.